eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Wow, what a game. Que tal partido? That was a ridiculous match. Man City versus Liverpool was billed as a battle for the ages, and boy, did it deliver. Heath Pierce is in the house, and James Bench is going to join us from the city of Manchester Stadium as we look at this two-all draw and what it means for the title-chasing game in the Premier League between City and Liverpool and much, much more. Kigo Lasso begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kigo Lasso, youtube.com forward slash Kigo Lasso. Heath Pierce, very quickly, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, man. It's good to see you again. I've already complimented you on your shirt. It's a great shirt, uh, but man, life's good. I'm excited to talk about all this. I love it. Heath Pierce, welcome back. I have missed you, my friend. Uh, in Soccer We Trust, continuing to grow as part of our YouTube and podcast family. Of course, make sure that you check it in Soccer We Trust with Heath Pierce, Jimmy Conrad, and of course, Charlie Davis. By the way, uh, obviously, we begin with Manchester City against Liverpool. Two all. What a result. We're going to get into it. We want your questions. We want your comments. We want all the engagement. But first, I want to bring in James Bench, who is talking to us from City of Manchester Stadium. He witnessed the magic that was that match. I would venture to say probably, you know, the best two teams, not just in the Premier League, but in Europe facing against each other. James Bench, how are you, sir? How was that game from the City of Manchester Stadium's perspective? How did you feel it went down? What a match. Yes, what a match indeed. I mean, this was... I, I, you, you run out of platitudes and, and praise to, to offer on these two teams who I thought matched each other almost blow for blow. Um, you know, there were certainly moments where City were hugely in the ascendancy, uh, moments of brilliance from Liverpool, despite the fact they weren't at their absolute best, at the pinnacle of their powers. Um, and just a, a thrilling game. You know, I've been doing the player ratings, trying to work out column as well. And so many players, so many world-class players delivered to the highest level on both both teams it was the sort where um you know you would sit down to to type you know, tweet to, to note down a player's performance and you would just like someone next to you would gasp in shock and you'd be looking up suddenly every minute one of the best games i've i've been to in years yeah it's, it's you know usually when you have this it's usually a team that underperforms both of these teams seem to perform benji from from the start to the finish in different ways and it seemed early on that that the game could have been put to bed by Manchester City had they finished their chances or been more clinical. What is the mood around around the stadium right now knowing, you know, you come out of it and you go, okay, Man City still has the advantage, right? They're still ahead in the table. But it does seem like there were some points left on the table in this one. Yeah, and I think especially, not least that, but also, you know, Mares is missing the last second where he probably should have done better than just chip the ball uh, into Rosette or whatever. I thought... I mean, obviously, there was a degree of frustration, certainly when Mares missed. I think there was a sense of that, that that feels like a moment. Equally, you know, I can only speak for the fans around me. I think a lot of them just felt probably similar to, to everyone else, everyone here in the press box, that, that they were privileged to, to witness this game, that they enjoyed it. I mean, I think it's true to say that this was not going to be critical either way, although I don't think either of these teams will drop many points from here on out. It was not going to be a game that you could you could win and guarantee you'd win the title. So I think everyone has sort of had... So that no one, I think, feels like they're in crisis on either on either fan group. The Liverpool fans still here, still chanting. Um, but I think City will feel more disappointed because they had the chances to win the game. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point, James Benji, about City perhaps feeling a little bit more disappointed due to the fact uh, Heath Gears obviously mentioned it in the first half that maybe they should have put it away. Liverpool fans chanting still. I'm thinking that maybe that's a metaphor for something, which is, you know what? We came away from home. We faced uh, arguably the best team in Europe in Manchester City, and we came with a point. So in your opinion, James Benji, as we say goodbye to you, Man City was 74 points. Liverpool was 73. Who do you think is happier at the end of this one? And what can you perhaps predict in the first few weeks? Because obviously there's still that one-point differential. What, what do you make of both managers as they think now into the last games of the season? I mean, I, oh, it's I, hard said, I, I said that you, would, you have to assume that the points will be dropped. But I mean, you shouldn't take that for granted. It is eminently possible that one or both of these teams just win out um, I think when you look at the fixture list, Liverpool's is tough. They've got Everton still to go, I believe, and, of course, Manchester United, a resurgent Tottenham team. Man City have got some tough games there as well, but I, I think I would want City's fixture list. They looked such a strong team. I mean, they have so many options as well to, to turn the tide in any game. Liverpool have them too, but I, I think I would stick with City winning the titles, as we said before. Well, my friend, it's great to see you. I'm glad that you enjoyed that experience at City of Manchester Stadium. Have a great post-game press conferences. Get home safe. And we will see James Bench, by the way, in the next week, of course, as part of our Champions League preview. Benji, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. It's interesting, Heath Beers, that Liverpool fans chanting nice, loud and proud. And I guess it's, it's part of what I said, right? I feel like Jurgen Klopp's side should feel reasonably happy, taken in mind as well by them. The first half was essentially won by Man City. They really should have been more ahead, I guess. How did you see the game, by the way? Let's break it down. At halftime, where do you think the pendulum was going? I thought it would go to City, but th that's the whole point of even at the highest level, there is still this need to, the, the, the mentality uh, of losing your mentality for one minute is, is enough for either of these teams to punish you. And we saw at the start of the second half, it was just a single moment. And then you have Kyle Walker doesn't track inside fast enough. The game happens quickly. Most lost lots of ball in. And now the whole game has changed for the second half. And then Liverpool were good for, for decent stretches there. You go back to that first half. And I thought that uh, both Liverpool and City City, obviously I think bar, by far the better team in the first half in terms of chances created or clear chances created. It was just a really good game. And I just keep going back to the fact is as I start to break it down, I mean, there were times that I saw Liverpool really condense the field and say, okay, we're going to just sit here and wait. And then we're going to have this trigger where we're going to press against Manchester, against City and, and really force them to have to break, a, break the lines. And then they play the goalkeeper who walks it up and then he sprays a 70-yard ball that breaks the line of pressure. And you're like, it's an unbelievable sort of uh, view holistically of the modern game of goalkeepers that can play with their feet, both teams that can play out teams that are very good on the counter at winning the ball in good spaces and being efficient with that with world-class players in every one of those positions. So often we see throughout it, throughout leagues and, and tables teams that are forced to be good at pressing because that's the tools that they have, but we're seeing the sort of peak of the modern game within these teams who are very different in the way that they approach the game. But as a neutral uh, you know, within this game, I'm like, I would watch this every day of the week. I would watch it every weekend of the year if I could get that type of game, knowing that I don't have a dog uh, in, in this one. But it's just, uh, yeah, we, we uh, you know, there's so much that I want to break down with you and want to get your your takes on, on just, you know, because even I'm still confused at looking at the fact that, okay, Liverpool's happy because they came away. They don't win at the Etihad um, ever. And they they come out of this with with a with a point, right? Knowing that they could have come come out of it with nothing. But then you have City on the other side going, man, we left a few chances on the table here as well. And there's still plenty of games left to play. Both these teams, we're talking about 70s. We're at mid-70s with these teams, which puts it at how many games left in the season? Seven? Six, yeah, six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. So and if it's not including no, Champions League action, and of course, the 20 would be 30, 38 games, right? They play in a season. So seven games. Are, are they on 31 or 32? Five games right? left. Uh, unless the, games. Well, the Wolves Man City game was postponed. So it would be one, two, three, four, five, six. No, seven games. Seven, seven games. Yeah. So that's 21 right. points left on and a title race that could come down to the final day. I mean, that's incredible. And yeah, I mean, what, what was your what was your take from the first half to the second half? Did you feel that Liverpool? ever had a chance to 
to win this game or was it mostly sort of just staying punch for punch for the most part and and having they did have some good chances but oh no 100 there's many things that you alluded to by the way that i'm just like 100 agree i mean first of all let's begin with the most important point we are blessed to see a game like this where you have not just talent all over but technical ability all over hardly do you ever see a terrible pass or a mistake granted I don't think a player like Fabinho, who's usually so solid in the midfield, had his best game, right? But overall, generally speaking, this game was tremendous. The XG battle, by the way, was about 1.11 for Man City, 1.22 for Liverpool. Wow. That's how even it was, of course. And we, you know, we we seldom, you know, come back to the fact that here we are, 2022, witnessing absolute magic. Of course, money has something to do with it and the infrastructure from both these teams. We're talking about the two best teams in the richest league in the world. But it's more than that. Technically speaking, I mean, I kept saying that this was the match of dimes, the match of vision, where like every single ball, almost every assist, was just absolute perfection. The fact that the most expensive player in British player history, Jack Grealish, only gets about 10 minutes, just basically says... A lot. Mauricio Casillas, our friend who watches as well, was saying how he wished Lucho Diaz got a few more minutes. He's a tremendous player, Luis Diaz, but this is how good this game is. There's just so much talent. I mean, we could go everywhere, right? Joe Cancelo's telepathic ball to Gabriel Jesus, to the Bruyne's ball to Riyad Mahrez at the very end. That should have been Sadio Mane getting that feed from Mohamed Salah. I mean, Cancelo absolutely showing up against Salah and then taking two players on. It's it's just beautiful. It's art. Keith Pierce. Yeah, yeah, one of the things that 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 was unique to me in this game is when you watch the match from TV, right? You see the long switch always, right? And you're screaming at the TV, the switch is on, the switch is on. But nobody on the field, when you you you've you you've played your whole life, right? That's such a hard ball to know that it's there, right? You have no idea you're gonna make it. When you watch it as 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 a fan from a TV and it's at that sort of uh, raised view, you get to see the whole field all the time, right? You you can see where sometimes where the next pass is, but you can always see where the difficult one is or the right one is because they they're they're at field level, and to watch this game where they saw that all the time, and I and I talk about this this phrase a lot of like. There's 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 good there's good options and then there's better options and then there's the right option right and in this game it would be City going down to create a chance and one pass out and now they've seen a long switch on a half turn to smack a ball that creates a counterattack on the other side for Liverpool where you just saw precision you saw vision you saw the difference you just see like normally you go up if you go to the bottom of the Premier League all the way up to the top you just have incremental improvements all the way to the top to get to the best players. And then you get to the top teams. Now it's clearly, and it has been Liverpool and and Man City for a while now, also Chelsea in a different way. But you just see this is the difference. Every single thing they do is at a level higher than anybody else. And it's not incremental. It is a gap between what they do at a world-class level uh, and, and the way in which they play than anybody else potentially in the world. This is how good they are. Tiago Alcantara, who is not getting any headlines today, almost every ball that I saw for him is just like blinking to him. It's just literally like instinct. And some of the passes were just unbelievable. But to your point, the difference between the talent that we're seeing in a game like this and everything else is monumental. It's huge. We did a YouTube poll, by the way. Who would you rather at this point, Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp? Who would you rather hire to manage your team? Pep Guardiola gets the 58%. Jurgen Klopp gets the 42%. Reasonable count. 171 people voted. Asking everybody out there, call to action here. Who would you rather hire your team? If you're not a Man City fan and you're not a Liverpool fan, who would you say? It's a good question because there's a lot of context needed here, Heath Pierce. Yeah, I, I think for me as a player, I would probably, if I was a player, I would want uh, Jurgen Klopp. I just feel like there is, again, and we see a different side than what you've seen in the locker room, but I feel there's more of this relationship type that you can have with him. The man management part. Yeah, and Pep's an unbelievable man manager. But I, mean, I feel like his... knows it, Heath Pierce. Did you see yeah. how he was all over him in that one? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that part when he was about to take the throw? I mean... He was I, hugging him and stuff. Yeah, as I say that, I, I'm like walking myself back from this answer because I'm just like, which one would I... I mean, it's, it is it's the era different. where people were, were spoiled with the, the 
sort of like Ferguson and Wenger era of just these these managers. Except we're seeing he was like feeling him up, and, and yeah. was like, "I'm dude, I'm taking a throwing. Can you just give me a second? And he's like shoving him and like all that. It's like a, the the it's it's wild. I mean, as I say that, I feel like a disloyalty to Pep Guardiola by saying Jurgen Klopp. And I don't care about either of these teams or these managers, but I'm just like, I have a love for both of them in a way that feels like I am a fan of these teams, which is kind of bizarre, right? I don't have any emotion towards them, but I have a love for both of them in a way that like, if somebody slandered Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola for things, like I would stand up and fight for, for, <laughs> for, for their honor, which is a bizarre thing considering I've got no reason to, but that's yeah. just how I feel in the era that they're in and what they've done for the game and the entertainment that I get out of it as, as a fan. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. So yeah, yeah, I guess I'm sitting on the fence on this one, but if I had to pick one, uh, I guess I'm going Jurgen Klopp. It's a very difficult question because you're basically being asked, what kind of music do you like? Yeah. Which parent <laughs> are you going to go live with? Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, that, you, you know what? Actually, that's exactly it. It's, yeah. it's your, your parents sit you down. Listen, Jimmy, uh, I say, Jimmy, <laughs> <laughs> we're getting divorced. Uh, you know, I, I want you to think carefully about this because mommy has to move to California, but you know, I'm going to stay in New York. Mm-hmm. Now, California has a big pool. You can go to Disney world. Mm-hmm. You can even go like, you know, great weather. you got great weather, great you weather around. It's not humid, nice and sunny. It's a lunch city. So we'll go out through the day, but New York, I mean, the energy, the best pizza around. Dude, your friends are here. Your friends yeah. are here. So <laughs> yeah. you got to choose, Jimmy. You got to choose which one is it. And, you know, at the end of the day, it depends on the mood. Like, I don't know. Maybe I do want some good weather, but God damn it, that pizza. I'm hey, telling you, a it's lot, a good question. A, a, lot of que- a lot of people are, are going with the clock because of the intensity of pep, but like. People, they're, they're, I'm just going to say something about the intensity thing, just to everybody, because, you know, um, even before Guardiola entered Man City, I, I have followed Guardiola's career for a while. I've read all the, all the books about him, his biography, of course, some great stuff from great writers talking about him. Listen, we talk about possession and all that stuff. Guardiola is obsessed with getting the ball back more than anything. Like, that's actually his number one thing. They're actually more similar than they are different. They really are. They just, they just have a different mentality depending on the momentum of the game. And to your point, depending on the relationships that they have with their players. It seems that Jurgen Klopp really is such a, it's more than just a mentor. Like, like you want like a bigger brother, a father, I don't know. But, I, you know, that's just speculation. I don't know what Guardiola is doing, you know, behind the scenes and stuff. It's a very difficult question, but rightly so, because they are the best managers in the world. Yeah, the, I, I just, I, I also question the in, the intensity stuff because that's that's basically how I judge him of just like this exhaustion of intensity. The issue is, against my own argument of that intensity, is the fact that he doesn't burn out with players. He has a way of continuing to get out, get the most out of these players. Raheem Sterling in and out of the team. Uh, Phil Foden earning his way in the team. He's got a number of stars, and he's got to manage all these egos to get performances out. Today, going into it, we don't know who was going to start in this match. And we've seen that teeter on on disaster we're seeing that a little bit with Chelsea right now of like egos and system and who plays and Chelsea goes from like high highs to you know some lows and highs again whereas Man City have been consistent and again I know that money is 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 a major reason for all of this but it's not it's not Jose Mourinho burnout it's not intensity to where it turns he's very clear with guys that 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 don't work in the team and they're 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 let go and they they find the next place or they're not playing within the squad but clearly there's enough buy in for for everybody there to go yeah he's intense but like what a great manager because we're we, we're on we are on pace every single year to win something major yeah um a question here from LAC if atletico knockout city would that change your mind about pep no why would it i mean obviously but none of them are perfect neither klopp or pep guardiola and yes one of guardiola's biggest criticisms is this way that he overthinks sometimes specifically in the champions league how about this yeah go ahead city city lose the title and get knocked out of the champions league do you think that we're seeing like that's where you that's where i think i guess what i'm saying is city have been able to connect the dots year after year after year through successes right now if you fall completely short that becomes a very long next year, right? Yeah. That motivation feels like you ride this high forever. Yeah, they fall short in the Champions League, but they win the league, you know, and 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 all of that, where it's like 
that becomes here's this very see, long journey. Here's how I see it if that happens. Uh, and thank you for the question, Alessi. Keep them coming. And, and specifically to Guardiola. First of all, I see Guardiola's system like a game of chess. And if you overthink the game, you're going to lose. And I think that Man City's biggest opponent is Man City. If you don't win the title at this point, you know, specifically now because of this example of today with the two-all draw, if you don't win the title, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. It, you, you did it to yourself. The Champions League situation, if you don't beat Atletico Madrid when they're parking three buses and they're frustrating, it's a great system. Like, I have all the praise for the El Simeone. He tried to go one nothing into the Wanda Metropolitano. It's not a terrible scoreline. But if you don't beat this Atleti side, because you have the tools to do it. We've literally talked about it for like 30 minutes. You have the tools to do it. If you don't do it, it's your fault. It's the same thing with Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. If you don't get to a certain point, that, and that's why it was too old today, because it's like an immovable object and gets an unstoppable force. And both these managers are the peak of the peak of managerial excellence. It's why you have so many managers, at least the young ones, that want to emulate it. I mean, your very own Mikel Arteta comes from the school of Pep Guardiola. So it, it, it's not, you know, whether you prefer Klopp or prefer Pep Guardiola, that's obviously something in relation to your own aesthetic pleasing or whatever, but both of them are just fantastic man managers. And if they don't achieve their objectives at this point with the squads that they have, it's because they are their own worst enemies. It's just, it's just crazy to me, by the way. Just like, no, these are, well, Mikel Arteta comes from the school of David Moyes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it depends which David Moyes, you know, if it's uh, Everton, David Moyes was a pretty good school at the time. Uh, hey, but the question is back to you though, Heath. Um, you know, what, what, what do you say then? If, if, because to me, it's look, you got to win the champions league, man city with Pep Guardiola. You have to, I, I think that that's a major talking point. Mm-hmm. What happens if Atleti end up winning this one? I don't think they will one, uh, and I think no. you probably agree with that. A huge but, but, uh, but but I, they do need to win the Champions League, and I think that is the. And having said that, like we're spoiled to say, like when we say that about PSG, who fall short constantly, you go, yeah, but like you know they're in a twenty-team league that should probably be an eighteen-team league, and they should win and run away like they're doing now every single year. Therefore, the one thing which doesn't make it any easier, like winning the Champions League, is hard no matter what. That's the that's the ultimate trophy with the money that they spend because they're not spending it to win a spot in the Champions League or to win the league. For City, it is crazy the idea that they are on par to win the league and or on pace to win the league potentially, and and there's still this Champions League thing constantly. That that is the bar that we've set for them. It's got to be the Champions League while they're still competing constantly, right? Uh, for for the league league title. So that's it's a pretty crazy bar that we've set, but that's the one that you get when you're man city and you've spent all this money and you've built this team with this deep of a roster. And, uh, yeah, you know, they're playing each other again in a week. And again, like, like you said, I think in the, in the open, uh, LME, like there could be a champions league final between these teams, which I hope that happens. Gerardo just commented on it. I want to see that this is the Liverpool man city. Okay. Are the two best teams in the world. They are, they just are Europe, the premier league. They are, a lot of it is money, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is the managers that we're just but at least about. they're doing something fun and entertaining for yeah. the growth of this. Yeah. Like I'm thinking from an American perspective, uh-huh. like take politics, take all that other stuff out of it. Right. Of uh, who's money and what money and whatever money alone spent on Chelsea over the last 10 years. Incredible, incredible build by Chelsea of what they've done. Right. And what they've accomplished in that window. But it hasn't been entertaining for me as a fan. It hasn't been attractive to me as a fan. It showed me that there's different ways in which you can win. But when I look at City, when I look at Liverpool and the money that they spend, I go, this is entertainment. It's and what you want to see. Yeah. yeah. If, if me, again, not being being that it's not neither of them are my I, team or that I'm fan, yeah, a neutral fan. Yeah. It's an incredible thing to see come to fruition where it just, again, take the money part out of it. But if you're talking about spending money, at least it's entertaining. And that at a minimum from, from, from at least a U.S. standpoint, I want to be entertained. And here's the thing. Joao Cancelo, we wouldn't marvel at his magic as much if Pep Guardiola didn't select him and choose him in the position that he... You know, there's just Jurgen Klopp on the other side. So, you know, I think it's fair to say that we witnessed a tremendous game. We think that, I think, as is, right? I still think Man City will take this Premier League title. Heath, I think you agree with that. Although, are you changing your mind? Because it's only a point differential. Because James Bench brings up a good point. When you look at let me just let me just tell you the, the, the schedule for Man City and the schedule for Liverpool, okay? Mm-hmm. 
Man City's schedule, and Des Norris, can you correct on me on this? I, Wolves Man City was postponed, so that still has to be played, yeah. right? That's but, set at the end of the year, but it's a TBD on date. Right. Um, okay. It's not set at the end of the year, but it's set on the schedule as the last game, but it's a TBD on it. Okay, so yeah, and that's co- corrected. Okay, so we got the FA Cup. They still got to figure that out. And by the way, Liverpool's going for a historic quadruple. Let's not forget about that as well, right? So the semifinal, they got to play Brighton at home, Watford at home. You should think six points right there, right? Away at Leeds United. And Leeds United with Jesse Marsh, obviously excitement, but Leeds pretty much, I think, are are safe. Just a good victory this past weekend. And you would think that by then they would be okay. So you would imagine, let, let, let's just give it a draw, just for the sake of argument, right? Seven points. Then they got to host Newcastle. I still think Man City will take care of that. Then they got to go away at West Ham. Okay, that's a tricky one because they'll be fighting for a European spot and West Ham are at home in that one. And then, of course, they have to host Aston Villa. And um, yeah, that's three points for Man City right there. So, and then Wolves, <laughs> and then Wolves, of course, that game. So you would think, what? Well, so let's see. City, Brighton, three points. It's three, six, seven, 10, third. Let's give them 13 points. So that's 13 all right, so that's, uh, let's see here, but plus 10, 84, 87 points. Liverpool, so that, so Man City ending on 87 points. Liverpool have a better goal differential. Okay, Heath, here you go. Liverpool have to play at home to Manchester United, at home to Everton, away at Newcastle, at home to Tottenham, away at Villa, away at Southampton, at home to Wolves, away at Manchester United. Do you give them a win against Manchester United at home? You would think yes. Yeah. Three points. Do you give them three points in the Merseyside derby? I mean, these those are that's those are the upcoming fixtures after the 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 it's FA Cup away. semis. I mean, and I'm not even talking about sandwiching Champions League if they get the, through. Right? The upside is they've got Man United, Everton, and Spurs, the which I think are probably their if I'm looking right at their hardest games. Uh, other yeah. than uh, United, will play Liverpool. No. Yeah. So we're giving them. So listen. So so we gave Man City eighty-seven points at the end of the season. Okay. So mm-hmm. let's see what happens to Liverpool. Liverpool, you give them a win at Manchester United at home. Yeah. Okay. Three. Merseyside derby win. I say three. Okay. Six. Away at Newcastle. That's one that I'm. Uh, yeah, I'll give them three there. Okay. Nine. At home to Tottenham. This is one that, I mean, obviously four games is a lifetime away and clearly right now, or five mm-hmm. games away with both uh, Spurs who are in incredible form right now and, and Liverpool. But I would, I would guess maybe three points there, but if not one. Let's give them one for the sake okay. of argument. So that's seven. Uh, away at Villa. Well, that would be nine, right? Or 10. So you have United, Liverpool, United, Everton, Newcastle, nine. Sorry, correct. 10. 10 points. Villa away. Yeah, win. Okay, 13 points. Away at Southampton. There's got to be three points. I mean, it's hard to... I mean, I'm looking at all these. Okay, already it's more than the points I gave to Man City, meaning that I'm giving Liverpool the title unless Man City just take care of business against the ones that we didn't think were going to happen. So my point is this. It's very tight. Yeah. And... We think that it's going to be all oh, the big games. The Tottenham's going to be. You never know. There could be a hiccup here. Liverpool could hiccup against Newcastle. Man City could hiccup in a game that they're expected to win. So it's a very tight thing. And at this point, I don't even dare venture who's going to take it. Wait, so like, uh, here's here's what I'm, but like when I look at the schedule of Man City, I still look at three points against Watford. Leeds are likely safe by then. If, and if Leeds aren't safe, the Newcastle aren't safe. Likely, if 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 somehow the bottom starts climbing that then, nine nine and point that's gap, that's the game they have to face, right? But they've got Brighton, who yeah, they've bounced back recently. But you know, Leeds should be three points. Newcastle should be three points. West Ham, that's that's a tough one. Aston Villa, if if we're given Liverpool, then we give City three points. Uh, and then you've got Wolves at the end of it. So it's 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 hard because you're looking at like there there's you would think that both these teams playing against some of these bottom of the table teams, it should play out uh, pretty, pretty clearly of just the gaps between them. I don't think, you know, it's not going to be, they're not at the point of the season where three points saves them, where you're going to get this heroic effort from a Watford or something like that. So 
Uh, not to say it'll be easy. There'll be none of these games will be easy, but both these teams could also potentially go 21 points straight um, so, to see out the year. My point is, and his point is, and our point is, we don't know yet until we keep on rolling. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll keep going with the Premier League for a second, including the fight for fourth. Of course, you know, some uh, conversation regarding Manchester United as well. And then a little bit on the Champions League, some final thoughts, and that will be it. Gigo Lasso, weekend recap. Heath Beers, LME, we'll be right back. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Welcome back, everybody. Que golazo with Heath Pierce LME. Weekend recap. We've discussed the great game that was Man City against Liverpool. That was 2-0. There's a race for fourth, and it's very, very tasty. Let's just talk about the most recent games that happened on Sunday. Brentford took care of business against West Ham. Of course, I put Ivan Tony in the bench on my fantasy football. Of course, I do that. Of course, that happens, Heath Pierce. But yeah. Brentford take three points against West Ham. And now a West Ham side that also has to think about, by the way, the Europa League as well. I would venture to say, Heath Pierce, that I guess Champions League is really not going to happen for them. I don't think so. Uh, I kind of put them in the same category now as, as, as Manchester United. I just don't see mathematically with the schedule that they have, the form yeah. that they're in, the inconsistency. 51 points, West Ham, in they, six, 32 games played. Go ahead. You know, they're, they're, yeah, 32 games played is what I was going to say in front of Arsenal. And, and uh, Spurs have 31 games played, but you're looking at just a, a gap there that I, that I don't see. Having, having said that, like games in hand clearly mean nothing to Arsenal as they've continued to, to kind of fill that gap in of games in hand. They haven't used those. So there is a, there is an opportunity to swing that, but just that inconsistency in form. I have to think about Spurs being the ones with the most momentum going at the right time of the season uh, to be able to, to to secure that fourth 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 and final spot. And also Chelsea, I don't think they're going to slip up. There was an opportunity mathematically to be really close for both Spurs and Arsenal. Um, it's still not far off, five points as you can see, but but Spurs have played one more than Chelsea. Arsenal has have uh, really um, pooped the bed uh, to, to use not bad language uh, in, in these moments. And, and West Ham as well have been very inconsistent. So Yeah, and Tottenham's goal difference, thanks to Antonio Conte's arrival, is much better than Arsenal's as well, even though Arsenal have a game in hand on Tottenham. And with that win, if it happened, it would be even on points. It doesn't matter at this point. Tottenham still have a better goal differential. So you would think that Tottenham's only fight for that Champions League spot is Arsenal. Right, you would think that. So, I don't know, man. You and guess what? You still have the North London derby on May twelfth as well. So, and they go to Arsenal has to host Manchester United. They have to travel to West Ham. They still got to travel to Chelsea. It's going to be tough. Do you feel that that loss this past weekend against Brighton was a key deciding factor in the fact that they might just not get that Champions League spot? Uh, I, I think the last couple of, it's, it's, it's tough to say, like they went from being like, this is a, this is the clear four team 
to being the now like I'm not so sure anymore based on 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 their form and the fact yeah. that they haven't really made the most of it. Crystal Palace battered them in the first half, uh, and and they couldn't come back from that uh, Monday, and then and then Brighton with a with a with a two one win also. Two teams that they should take. By the way, Crystal Palace, I love I've loved them from the very beginning of the season. I like where they were at. They were drawing everything, and they were just a few moments away. And obviously, they've shown they continue to show. Uh, obviously not being able to come back against against Leicester today, but showing just some glimpses of some being a, a top half of the table, you know, pushing in those Euro, European Europa League spots. So I don't want to discredit Crystal Palace because they put a beating on 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 um, Arsenal, but it, they lost to, again. You go back and lost to Liverpool, lost to Palace, lost to Brighton. It's just one of those things where it's just like the taking the wind out of the sails when we were all we were talking about is this positive, positive, positive. And you had Spurs on the other end, just quietly going about their business while people sort of wrote them off and they didn't make the most of their games. Uh, now they now they don't have games in hand and they're making the most of just game after game after game, which is why it's, you know, based on the form. Having said that, three weeks ago, I would have said Arsenal are for sure the team that goes top four. And maybe even as based on the math before, we're going to be within three points of Chelsea in third. Um, and so, yeah, things change quickly in the Premier League, as you know. Yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, part of it, you think, wow, Tottenham, Antonio Conte, you see some some blips, right, after that great win over Manchester. We were talking about whether Antonio Conte was the guy. Yeah. Like, good, was it the players? Was it the team? And, if, and, and is it the manager if you keep if you keep changing them and you don't get the results? Now I mean, all it's of a sudden, amazing what he's done. narrative's changed. Yeah, It's amazing what he's done. It's just that there was, there was room and justifications for an argument. A good tweet here from Duncan Alexander. Spurs have now scored more Premier League goals this season under Antonio Conte, appointed in November, than Arsenal have under Mikel Arteta. Part of it, okay, is obviously the way that these teams play. Let's remember that. Tottenham's win against Man City, that was 3-2. But then they lost to Burnley 1-0. Then they came back and destroyed Leeds 4-0. They destroyed Everton 5-0. They destroyed Maya Villa 4-0. They won 5-1 against Newcastle. They're all out. They're all in or nothing. There's nothing in between for Antonio Conte. And that's favoring a Spurs side who, by the way, never mind Hume Son, who's amazing. Never mind Harry Kane. Kulusevsky arguably the best transfer acquisition of January. So good. They're just a good team. And at this point, you have to say that Tottenham will get that Champions League spot, Heath Pierce. Yeah, I just look at that attack. I wonder. I worry about their defense always at, at Spurs and whether or not they're consistent enough. But clearly, they figured out a way to shore it up with the style of play tactically that's not relying on the back four to be the only ones, you know, kind of solving the problems. But on the flip side of that, when we were criticizing Spurs throughout the year, it was like, oh, yeah, Sun couldn't figure it out. Kane couldn't figure it out. Cool. And we all gave him hell for January as well. Yeah. We all thought you didn't have a pretty good January transfer window. And boy, are they making us look foolish. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's all come together, right? And and they've at least found some a way to get by defensively as a, as a unit. And then attacking, they found the rim. I mean, they have a world-class attack, but so do Manchester United. So do others that, yeah. that aren't figuring it out. We didn't think they would figure it out, especially the Harry Kane narrative out of, out of the summer transfer window. The form that he was in, they couldn't get on the same page. They look like just glimpses of themselves. Deli Ali continuing to not be the player that we had uh, wanted him to be or what he was pre-Jose Mourinho era. Uh, so you kind of just wrote them off as like, okay, Harry Kane's going to leave and you know, Son's going to maybe be there longer, but Deli Ali was never going to be the same player again. Uh, and, and so you kind of just write them off based, based on what had had them success, gave them success before. But now you look at them and you're like, okay, they found it again. They found that rhythm, that belief. And when this team is good, their attack is one of the best in Europe, period. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, by the way, call to action, everybody. We're talking about it. Who's going to get that fourth spot? Do you think Tottenham? Do you think Arsenal still have a chance? They have that North London derby to play for. West Ham, are they out of the picture? What do you think? We'd love to know what you think. Very quickly, Heath Pierce. in soccer we trust. Heath Pierce with Charlie Davis and Jimmy Conrad three times a week. We haven't even discussed this. Just very quickly, USMNT, England, in the same group. We've talked about Harry Kane. We're looking at some of the magic that we've seen from Phil Foden today and so many other players in England. Is there anybody in that England squad at this point that's just like, do we have an answer for him? Who do you think that is? Oh, man. I mean, the only hope that I have for this England squad, which is a problem for us because we don't have a striker with the U.S. national team right now. We don't have a nine that's that's mm. that's consistent scoring. Obviously, we saw Gio Reyna came off with a torn tendon. He's out for the year. Um, and then we don't have a scoring number nine. 
at, at all. I mean, we have a scoring number nine. He's not being called in or seen at the international level with Jordan Pivak, but we don't have that one we know we can go to. Is just the Maguire and Stones. Like Stones hasn't been trusted upon. He's probably the weakest link that I saw today for Manchester City as well in terms of leaving a few gaps. Was very good, but but not at, I think, the Man City level. And then Maguire, same thing. Uh, is like a weakness. We just don't have anybody to exploit uh, that position right now. So on the flip side, there's a lot of good, good players. When I'm thinking about uh, your your Christian Pulisic and a Trent Alexander-Arnold of of kind of how that matches up and the attack from just England just have so many, so many players. Like when you go down the list, you're like, they're My 50, yeah. 60 deep uh, in terms of the quality that they have in the attack, the form of those players right now. The fact that there's the the youth coming through constantly, it's what we should aspire to be uh, with the U.S. national team. Um, but there's, there's, yeah, when I look at Phil Foden, I'm like, the, the, there, there is just going to be a lot to deal with uh, when, when the U.S. plays against England. Yeah, absolutely. I did. The reason why I asked is because we're talking Tottenham and, you know, I think that the USMNT has faced interesting strikers in CONCACAF. Jonathan David, of course, one of them. Uh, Raul Jimenez on his day, we know what he can do. I don't think you faced anybody like Harry Kane yet. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Not only that, by the way, but a Harry Kane that will fit in well with a Phil Foden on the field, who's used to playing with a false, a false nine or or a withdrawn striker that comes back into the midfield, knowing where the next gaps or spaces are. When Phil Foden's got to go and find where do I where do I contribute when my striker's dropping back? That's all he's ever had to do. So, like when you think about the rhythm of pulling a bunch of these players from different footballing philosophies and styles of play into, into the team, you're like, man, there's a lot of these pieces that are going to go well together for, for England that are going to be really difficult for the U S uh, we've got some, some, you know, players on, on the verge of being stars, but that will be our first, uh, sort of real awakening, uh, of, 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 of just how good England are. The day after Thanksgiving. I can't Black wait. Friday. Black Friday. I'll be shopping. <laughs> I'll be watching. I'll, I'll be having some breakfast and watching some footy. Absolutely. Hopefully, no. Maybe I'll be at the game. Maybe that would be better. Yeah, knocking people out in Best Buy and then watching this game. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. All right. Let's keep going for a second because uh, Frank Lampard and Everton did get a very important win against Manchester United. I called it the Everton win against Everton with vibes. That was the result. How do you lose to Everton, by the way? No disrespect. But Everton were not really that good in that game. Obviously, they gave it their all. David De Gea said Everton played on Wednesday. They were tired. They were a bit nervous. You could feel it. Even with that, we lose the game. It's a disgrace from us, to be honest. We don't score and we don't create. That's the problem. That's David, the goalkeeper, De Gea, saying that. By the way, Ronaldo smashed the kid's phone in frustration. I hope he buys him one, of course. First of all, Manchester United, just like, you know, Eric Ten Hag reportedly won't join unless all his demands are met. Is Eric Ten Hag the answer? What's going on with Manchester United? I feel like we've talked about this forever, but Heath, you haven't been here in a while. I would love your thoughts because, you know, here's the comment that Cristiano said on Instagram. It's never easy to deal with uh, emotions and difficult I can't even read it. I'm sorry. That's not. It's so small. So yeah, he basically says he's sorry, uh, but uh, he would like to invite uh, this supporter to watch a game at Old Trafford as a sign of fair play and sportsmanship. I'd be like, <laughs> I thought you were going to give real? me a gift, Ronaldo. Like, I don't yeah. want to watch United. You're inviting me to a game as a sign of fair play and sportsmanship. <laughs> like, nah. I think. I think I, I'm going to be like, you know, I think you should try. Try again. Try again. You know, like. Yeah. This is this is the you, you you got more you got you can go a little deeper than that uh, if you you smashed my phone like that I'm I'm gonna <laughs> leave it there like uh, thank you but no thank you come yeah. back with another offer you please know? don't uh, punish me by te- making me watch another Manchester United as a sign of fair play and like I'm inviting this person after smashing the phone as a sign of fair play like I'm a phone Cristiano that's all yeah. you need to do really yeah. but anyway back to David De Gea's point about Manchester United. Is Eric Ten Hag the right person for this? He clearly has his quandaries with this club and he's not going to join just for the sake of it. Yeah, I think I think he's approaching it the right way. You know, I think he's approaching he's it. Like, before I join this, like, before I join this mess, I need to know that you're going to support me, right? Yeah, I no, and, and a lot of this is not just about being able to spend money. It's about being able to have the tough conversations. Like De Gea is the one that I'm like, world-class goalkeeper, but probably the end of his era in terms of just needing something new, something different. 
And I think he's done some incredible things with the club. But I still associate him with this run of just poor form that the team has had, not necessarily due to his performances, but just where it's time to bring in some fresh ideas, some fresh players. And I'm I'm singling De Gea out because you just mentioned him. But like I I just I, I just think that if if you are Ten Hag, you know that you're walking into a beehive and or hornet's nest. And if you don't have the the right things to to, to fix that and solve that and the support to do that, it is going to continue to be a failure for anyone who takes that job. Was it a bit stupid that Manchester United didn't hire Antonio Conte, by the way, when they had the opportunity to do so? Yeah, probably. Uh, but nothing's gotten better, right? And and when we looked at, at, at bringing in this temporary staff and it was supposed to be sort of built around this idea of instilling the future footballing philosophy that the next coach would come in and carry it, hand over the baton and sort of be working and he's going to be working in the background uh, to help the club. You go, okay, sort of made sense, right? Which is like, I'm just going to come in and bring in, I'm going to bring in some parameters and some structures, some guardrails into this club. But none of that has worked because obviously it wasn't going to work because you brought in Cristiano Ronaldo. You brought in all these things that threw everything off and now you're forced to have to continue to deal with that. So I think it's a huge loss. I mean, it's, I mean, obviously, in retrospect, it's a huge loss. Who knows how that would have gone for Antonio Conte uh, during this period as well? Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, same reservations that Eric Ten Hag has right now, I'm sure. All right, very quickly in the relegation battle, by the way, Everton, can they avoid the drop? Because Norwich got some points of Burnley. I think that probably helps them. But how do you see it now? Do you see, even though Norwich got that win, the bottom three will remain the same? Yeah, if anything, that's a huge, huge loss for 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 Burnley to be able to change the dynamic of that. I still think these these three don't have the ability to come out of that. If you just look at the form, it's like sort of, you know, they lose four, they win one, they lose four, they win one, they draw one here and there. And so like Norwich in their last two, four points in the last couple of games, which isn't horrible. I just don't see like Everton. It just takes another one of these shock results that they can get. And they're pretty much close. Leeds clearly ran away. Newcastle, we talked about it three weeks ago. Leeds, we're talking about it now, just sort of being like, it might be a little bit, they might be a little bit too far. Same thing with Brentford, who were on a slide. They shift, they change the dynamic of their slide. That it's just less so, it's a mix of the results others are getting, um, and then and then the bottom three not getting the results consistent enough. And obviously, Everton are still very much in that mix, but one more win from Everton with the quality that they, they just have enough quality to get wins where Burnley, Watford, Norwich, are going to be searching for answers for 90 minutes for every game for the rest of the year, uh, which I think puts them obviously at a huge disadvantage. The only thing that I say about Everton is that they still have to face Liverpool. Leicester City won't be easy. They got to face Chelsea. They're going to face Leicester City again. Ooh. A big game against Watford away, by the way. Brentford are picking up points and then at home to Crystal Palace and then away to Arsenal. So, you know... I, I think obviously the win against United helped, but, but I think they need like seven points to be safe out of all those. Yeah, to be and honest, also which is the other crazy. Team, yeah, and the but. other teams below them need to get get that points. By the way, I'm still hoping. I'm still holding <laughs> out on hope Lampard gets relegated. Says Rafa Cardenas. That's a very, that's a very direct uh, hope. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a lot of hatred towards yeah. Lampard there, Rafa Cardenas. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens there. Right, let's move on. Let's move on. We're nearly done here. Heath Pierce, LME, Diego Lasso, weekend recap. We're going to do a fun, quick, very quick Champions League report here. Heath Pierce, Bayern Munich. It's more of an update, and then you just give me your thoughts. But Bayern Munich edged Augsburg 1 0 through a Lewandowski penalty. Villarreal, a well rested one, drew 1 0 against Athletic Club, and they enter that game at Bayern Munich 1 0. Very quickly, you, what do you think is going to happen there? The Villarreal have a 1 0 lead. Yeah, I, I, this one's this one's hard because Bayern they're now nine points clear at the top of the table after a loss to RB Leipzig from Dortmund a week ago, and so they're pretty comfortable there uh, within the league. They're going to throw everything at this game. Villarreal obviously rested, rotated players, but they're in a weird spot too, where I, I they're very much putting their eggs in this Champions League basket because I don't know which I don't know if they should because I don't think they have a, a chance to go on a deep run. But at the same time, they're they're really. They're in really poor form in the league right now, and they've fallen out, and I think they're in real danger of not qualifying for Europe next year. So this could be the thing that either, you know, uh, if they can get out of this one, maybe it turns around their season. Maybe it 
shines a light on on what could end as a, as a pretty poor season. I'm not really sure, but they were very good in the first leg in terms of just the way that they approached the game being very difficult to play against. So I could see them potentially. I thought Bayern Munich would crush, and they didn't. They weren't even close to that. And and Villarreal just made it very very difficult, almost forcing Bayern to suffer for very very long periods. Um, so I want I want to go with Villarreal in this one, but I'm wow. probably, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> well, we have our Champions League preview before those games. I, you know, we're going to talk about it in more depth in this coming week. But I just think Unai Emery is going to rue the fact that they didn't score more than one goal because now in Munich, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, Real Madrid against Chelsea. Real Madrid winning 3-1 against Chelsea in that first leg. Real Madrid got a 2 nothing victory over Getafe. So all is good there in La Liga. And Chelsea, well, they got angry against Southampton, and they absolutely routed them 6 nothing. By the way, Ralph Hasenhutl, he's seen a few of these, Heath Pierce. Uh, I don't think it's going to – it's not that great of a resume. Yeah. I, I, this is a, this is one that I think is going to be really hard to turn around. Obviously, Real Madrid in fantastic form, continuing to kind of prove what people thought was an old and beaten roster, and they are an old and beaten roster, but they're winning with an old and beaten roster. Uh and so this one again, Chelsea. I just I think it's a hard thing to come back from. Uh, I don't know what's your take on 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 this this matchup. Not to get two too much, goals, obviously. Yeah, two goals is tough. I think if it would have been two one, maybe three one at the Bernabeu. I don't know. I think it might be too difficult because you know that Real Madrid are going to score at some point. Yeah. And now the away goal thing doesn't matter, so that facilitates Chelsea's job because you know you don't have to worry about the fact that they scored three away goals. They just scored three goals, but still, I just think it might be a little bit. Yeah, and it's just it's just also I, I just wonder if Chelsea can create enough chances to get those two goals, right? Yeah, to get exactly. them clearly by not by staying balanced in a way that 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 doesn't lead to opening chan- or opening up themselves to vulnerabilities where where uh Real Madrid can attack. Yeah, a lot to think about for Thomas Tuchel because this past weekend, obviously Timo Werner, other players who were on the bench for a while did do the business and maybe they're knocking on the door in this game. All right, Wednesday's action very quickly. Atleti, Man City, we've already talked about it. Mallorca, by the way, who hadn't scored in like six hours, scored against uh, Atleti and they won, won nothing. So Atleti lost this past weekend. And Man City, we just saw the game very quickly on that one. Do you see Diego Simone doing the business here or should be all fine for Man City and Pep Guardiola? I mean, it was borderline insanity the way that Atleti approached that game. Uh, in terms of playing with uh, the double five, uh, two lines of five, which was like more of like a seven and a three at times, and like really things like bosses. that. <laughs> yeah, and so they're gonna have to play a little bit differently in this game. Maybe the first they half they to. can they can maybe in the first half they can play similar to that, and then start to be a little more strategic. They're gonna have to have a really good game plan because you see with the, the quality that City has that if if you give them anything, um, they could they could put this out of reach pretty quickly. Um, if 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 Atletico don't know how to balance the fact that they do need to go and score a goal with, you know, trying to stop City controlling the game from start to finish. Yeah, Liverpool hosting Benfica 3-1. Darwin Nunez scored a hat-trick this weekend against Belenenses. 3-1 win, but too little too late, right? Liverpool has this. Yeah, Liverpool has this. And I think this is a chance for them to not rotate the squad considerably, but, you know, show a little bit of their flex in their depth uh, for a game like that just to keep a professional performance and allow some rest for your players because they got they got a long run as well for the rest of the season. It's a lot. All right, final thoughts here with Heath Pierce as we round up and wrap up Gigolasso Weekend Recap Serie A, where you can watch it exclusively on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports. Please don't forget that the race for Serie A Scudetto is very, very tight. We got some sexy results here, Heath Pierce, mm-hmm. as Fiorentina defeated Napoli 3-2. That's big. That's a big result right there in Italy, and that means basically if the table is shown from, by the way, Juventus won 2-1 against Cagliari, Inter wins against Verona, as we predicted, of course, and Milan-Torino is later today in about 20 minutes, and that loss, from Napoli's perspective, Heath Pierce is big. It's huge. I mean, it puts them, you know, one more game up, obviously, in terms of matches played and and a point off the pace. But we've seen like I'm still not convinced that anybody wants this title yet (laughs) Uh, between AC Milan and Inter. It could come down to the final day. Napoli could be in that conversation as well. And then 
in the worst case scenario, Juventus find themselves somehow back in the mix, which I think it's still probably too many points with what's left in the season. But, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what the odds makers are, are saying in terms of who, who's going to win this one out, but it is going to be very, very tight. And when you, when you think about just the table is separated by a point in three teams. Yeah, this is the sentiment pretty much from every Napoli fan. A big, big loss against Fiorentina. And we all said that Fiorentina were going to cause a few headaches to this Napoli side, by the way. But Milan, who's playing on Monday, will be looking at this saying, all right, boys, it's now or never. All right, final thoughts here, by the way. We had a weekend of hat-tricks. Son Heung-min, I one mentioned against two. Chiro Immobile for Lazio, of course, Darwin Nunez. We talked about it. And Neymar and Mbappé in the same game got a hat-trick. It was pretty unbelievable. By the way, and Milan plays today, by the way. I keep saying tomorrow. I'm sorry. Plays today in a few minutes. So it's a big one there. And listen, Heath, I mean, obviously give me your final thoughts, but I do want to know about what you make of El Trafico, Chicharito getting the job done with LA Galaxy and that victory against LAFC. Yeah, I mean, the LAFC had a number of chances. I think Vela hit the post twice uh, or had a couple goals called back on offside. Not that you can ever count those anymore because they don't count because he was offside, but like, or somebody was offside. But they were knocking on the door, LAFC, and then had a goal called back in stoppage time. I think the like 98th minute uh, or, or something like that. That was, again, another one that was considered or called offside. So overall, really good match. It was weird to see Vela and Chicharito like, we're laughing around the coin toss and like teasing each other. They're walking out of the tunnel, teasing each other. There's like this thing that I hadn't seen in the league. I know the league had sort of done this whole like, you know, sort of not friendship thing, but sort of like safety first kind of calling before this where both teams kind of got together somewhere in the city that was like kind of not kind of anti-violence type of type of thing of coming together, which was kind of cool. And it made me miss Chicharito and Vela in the national team. I just go, man, both these guys did incredible things in this game. I just wonder what it would have been like or could be like if they could just make some, uh, they can mend some uh, broken relationships and, and get them back for a World Cup. Well, that was where I was going, finally. I think that Chicharito and Carlos Vela need to be in this squad for the three. Tata Martino, if they keep going, of course, it's the end of November. We, it's a long way to go, but they need somebody like that. Raul Jimenez, I love him, but he's limited. Chucky he Lozano, Chucky Lozano is not a finisher. He's a yeah. creator. The same with Tecatito Corona. You need an ugly poacher, with all due respect to Chicha. You need somebody that doesn't care how he scores. He just wants to score. And you need oh, yeah. Carlos Vela as well from a creative and experienced perspective. Yeah, absolutely. That's the What those players have is the magic that Mexico always had that I think they're missing right now from an identity standpoint. And yes, you know, when you think about Henry Martin, Funes Mori, these guys are a little yeah. bit more traditional strikers. And they still fall in line with Raul Jimenez. And they don't have somebody like that that's constantly buzzing in and around the box where when Mexico makes you chase them for a while, it always felt you could always feel the momentum of when they're going to create chances and when they're going to score goals on you. And they make teams really suffer that players like Carlos Vela from the right side coming in or Chicharito constantly being busy in the box. They're missing some of those sparks right now that make Mexico what 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 uh, makes Mexico so dangerous when they're at their best that I just wonder, like, maybe, why not? You extend the rosters to 26 they could be two guys. Let's go back. Let's go in the public. The The media will love it. They'll gobble it up for months in Mexico. And then you bring in two, two of these players if they're in good form and take yeah. them to the World Cup. One of them will go. Chicha, you you call him up, he'll go. The other one, just persuade him back. Just be yeah. like, we need you. One more ride. Let, let's, let's take care of business. But you're 100% spot on. Mexico needs that. They need it right now. Now, obviously, a long way to go till November, but we'll see what happens. But anyway, that's the end of our show. Kigo Lasso Weekend Recap with Heath Pierce. In soccer, we trust Heath Pierce. Do we know what we're talking about in the next episode, HP? Yeah, we're actually going to do our uh, awards for World Cup qualifying. Ooh, so we're gonna give, we've got about six or seven awards that we're going to give away uh, to the players from the U.S. men's national team, like our sort of um, best breakout star, MVP, team performance, best result, things like that. So we're going to focus on the positive, some of the things that, that happened, just to put into perspective what World Cup qualifying was like and uh, hand out some arbitrary awards that, uh, you know, if I can get these addresses of these guys, I'll send them real trophies. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love it. In Soccer We Trust, make sure that you check it out. Follow them on YouTube, podcast Heath Pierce, Jimmy Conrad, Charlie Davis, and guests as well. But anyway, LME here, HP, thank you so much for being part of the show. Gago Lasso forward slash, no, I'm sorry, YouTube.com forward slash Gago Lasso. It's a Sunday, okay? Leave me alone. Yeah. I'm tired, all right? Back off. Seriously, but you can listen to us as well on Pod Kegolasso Pod on Twitter. We got plenty to come as we wrap up 
the quarterfinal stages, our Champions League preview. We got a cool weekend preview later on as well, and so much more content. And we have a brand new surprising series to come up. We're going to announce it this week. It's going to be awesome. So make sure that you follow us. Heath Pierce on Twitter and Instagram. LM Echegaray on Twitter. Make sure that you follow us. Que golazo in soccer. We trust CBS Sports. We will see you next time. Have a great remaining Sunday. Till then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.